you to open your scripture this morning with me to the Gospel of Mark, chapter 15. This morning we are in verses 16 through 21. We continue to work our way through uh, this book of the Bible. And I don't know if you've seen this in the news this week, but I thought this was pretty interesting. A uh, former professional football player by the name of Doug Flutie. Uh, his parents uh, were married for, I believe it was 57 years uh, that I read this week. But anyway, his father had been in poor health for some time, and his father passed away of a massive heart attack this week. And less than one hour later, his mother passed away of a heart attack as well, unexpectedly. And whenever he uh, was speaking about this, he said perhaps you know, she died of a broken heart that uh, they were so uh, close and so connected for so many years that uh, maybe his loss had triggered such sadness in her life that she passed away as well. Uh, perhaps that is the case, uh, but that is a, what we consider to be a, a, an emotional commitment, being so close and so tied in to somebody. Uh, love, indeed, is a costly investment. It requires 100% of us as we uh, love and are committed to someone else. As we think about this morning, God's love for us and this idea of being costly and this investment. We know that God loved us so much it cost him his son. We read that in John 3.16. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. God's love for the world cost his son and the love of Jesus for us cost him his life. He said himself in John 15.13, no greater love uh, is there than this, that one would lay down his life for his friends. And so the Lord, as we see in our scriptures over the last several weeks, and in especially today, the Lord endeared great pain for us because he loves us. And if we love him, we must be willing to endure pain as well. In fact, as a follower of Jesus in this world, you must be prepared to suffer mistreatments if we're going to follow in the footsteps of our Master, if we're going to be disciples and followers of Jesus, we likewise must be willing to suffer mistreatment for Him. I want to invite you to stand this morning, if you're able to. We do this out of reverence for the reading of the Holy Word of God. We're in Mark chapter 15, this morning starting at verse 16. And these words are written under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit by Mark. The soldiers took him away into the palace, that is, the praetorium. And they called together the whole Roman cohort. They dressed him up in purple, and after twisting a crown of thorns, they put it on him. And they began to acclaim, Hail, King of the Jews! They kept beating his head with a reed and spitting on him and kneeling and bowing before him. After they had mocked him, they took the purple robe off him and put his own garments on him. And they led him out to crucify him. They pressed into service a passerby coming from the country, Simon of Cyrene, the father of Alexander and Rufus, to bear his cross. Let's pray together. Father, we come before you at this time, grateful for this opportunity to gather, to express our gratitude to you, and to speak to you through praise and through song, through worship. Father, we at this time humble ourselves so that we might listen to you as you speak to us through your Holy Word. Holy Spirit, you inspired these words and we ask that you would at this time illuminate these words to us that we might be better equipped to understand and also to apply 
what we read and what we study. Father, we pray that as your word had the power to create the universe out of nothing, we pray this morning that if there be one here that does not have a living faith, that through the power of your word you would speak into existence something that is not, and you would cause the new birth this morning. And so, Holy Spirit, we as your people have gathered and just pray that you would have your way with us as you move and as you speak. May you give us ears to hear and eyes to see. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. So we have been studying this book coming to its conclusion. We see that we are in the final hours of the Lord's life leading up to the crucifixion. Indeed, we read just last week that he had been handed over, delivered by Pilate to be crucified. Throughout Mark's gospel, we see really two prominent themes drawing up. First of all, we see Jesus as our substitute, that God had sent him to, uh, to endure the, the pain and endure the suffering of the cross to be a, a substitute, a sacrifice for our sins. And Indeed, the Lord is fulfilling that plan in the Scripture that we see. But also, Jesus, not only as our substitute, but as our example, the, the idea of discipleship is prominent in Mark's gospel. The idea that Jesus is the teacher and, and the master and the leader, and if we are going to be his followers, we must be willing to go the same way that he has gone. We must indeed follow the leader. And is that, if, if that is the case, as we see the Lord's suffering and the Lord's reproach, we as his disciples must come to expect the same things as we follow him in this world. The first thing we see in verses 16 through 20 is this challenge that we also might wear the Lord's crown. The Lord's crown. Not in the sense that we would be king, but the idea of greatness. Greatness in God's eyes. Jesus has already demonstrated that to his disciples, hasn't he? Whoever wants to be first must be last. And if we want to be great in the eyes of the Lord, if we want to be rewarded by the Lord, we must be willing to go through the same mistreatments that Jesus also was mistreated with. It is a path, the path to greatness, that is paved with pain. The pain, first of all, of spiritual service. If we are going to follow in the Lord's footsteps, the pain of spiritual service. Verse 16, the soldiers took him away into the palace. Again, the idea of Jesus being led, Jesus being, taking, being, being taken away, the idea of Jesus being meek, allowing himself. Even though he is king, and even though he is master, and he is the creator, and he is the Lord, he is allowing himself to be taken and to be led away. He has surrendered himself yet again. He is resolved to suffer and die because it is the Father's will. Through prayer and through his association with the Father, he has understood his role as the Messiah to be one who is to suffer for his people out of love and because of his devotion to his Father and because of his great love for us. We see Jesus willing to suffer spiritual service. That is the responsibility of our Lord and if we are to follow in his footsteps must be our willingness to suffer the pain that comes with spiritual service as well to put the needs of others 
ahead of our own. But also we see the pain of relational solitude in the sufferings of Jesus. We have already read that he has been betrayed, that he has been abandoned, that he has been denied. And here we see once again Jesus standing alone. Verse 16, The soldiers took him away into the palace, that is the praetorium, and they called together the whole Roman cohort. So what I've read, a Roman cohort could be anywhere between 200 to 600 soldiers. We see Jesus drawn into the praetorium, which was the uh, military camp, the barracks. 200 to 600 soldiers called in, gathered all around him, and we see the Lord again standing alone. He stood alone before the Jewish authorities, and we see him standing alone once again before the Roman soldiers. He has been denied, he has been betrayed, he has been abandoned, and he is standing alone. And sometimes we as Christians must be willing to stand alone. We must be standing alone against the political correctness of our days. We must be willing to stand alone for what is right, stand up for righteousness, stand up for the Lord's truth, even though it might be unpopular, even though we might be standing alone and standing against 200 to 600. The Lord, because of His willingness to serve His Father and to serve His people, was willing to stand alone in solitude in a difficult time. We also read about the pain of his emotional scorn in verses 17 and 18. In fact, we read the Gospels when we see it emphasizing the pain of our Lord during his passion. More often than not, it emphasizes his mockery, his scorn more so than it even relates to his his physical suffering. The writers emphasize much more the emotional scorn of the passion than they do the physical suffering it says in verse 17 they dressed him up in purple and twisted a crown of thorns put it on him and began to acclaim him hail king of the Jews now when we first read this text uh, if we leave out a few parts it might sound like the Lord is receiving what he deserves does it not it mentions in this text soldiers in the palace and purple, which was the color of royalty, and a crown, and hail him king of the Jews, and kneeling and bowing. And we might say, now this is what Jesus deserves. In fact, that is what the Jews wanted. They wanted a king of the Jews who was lifted up and exalted and worshipped and strong and, and praiseworthy and conquering and victorious. But that's not the type of Messiah that Jesus had come to be at that point. Even though he was those things, he came to be mocked and to be deserted and to be abandoned and to suffer. It says here that uh, they twisted a crown of thorns and in the Mediterranean there is an acanthus plant that grows prominently all around and it's believed that that was a type of plant they used to twist this crown of thorns and indeed it's as if the soldiers here were mocking Jesus by comparing him to Caesar because you see the soldiers they they knew what royalty looked like as much as we referred to Pilate last week and the soldiers received this man Jesus with this charge of being king of the Jews and they looked upon him beaten and bloodied and bruised and they said yes this this must be what the king of the Jews is all about And so they dressed him up in purple, quite possibly took one of their own capes off, 
dressed him in that, put a crown of thorns on there, on his, on his head, and began to acclaim him, King of the Jews. Hail, King of the Jews, as if they were hailing victorious Caesar, who had conquered the enemies. What's ironic is that even in the midst of mockery and rebellion, once again, his true identity is, it is confessed. Remember, as the Jews mocked his divinity by stating, you are the Messiah, you are the Christ, the Son of the Blessed. Remember how last week Pilate said, you are the King of the Jews. Here the soldiers bowing before him in mockery are actually, actually confessing indeed who he really is. He is the King of the Jews. He is the Messiah. He is the Savior of mankind. The pain of emotional scorn as they mocked his devotion to his Father and to his people. And the same thing can be happening to us as believers even today when we stand for the Lord. We are mocked for our faith. We are mocked for our commitment and our convictions and our dedication to the things of Christ. We also suffer the pain of emotional scorn as we follow in his steps. But also the pain of physical suffering was one, of course, that Jesus endured in his passion. We have read about already him being beaten by the Jewish authorities and being scourged by the Romans and now again being mistreated physically as they placed a crown of, of thorns onto his brow. And it says here that they kept beating his head with a reed, with a, a staff, a, a reed, a, perhaps uh, a marsh reed that was common in that area, similar to bamboo, uh, beating him continually upside the head and spitting on him. It could be a, a mock form of affectionate greeting, and it's also ironic that once again our Savior is standing with the saliva of another on his cheek as he is standing to be our Savior. And they kept mocking him, kneeling and bowing before him, beating his head with a reed and spitting upon him. It says, and they led him out to crucify him. And really, when you read this episode, it, it's totally unnecessary because we read at the end of verse 15, it says, Pilate handed him over to be crucified. Verse 20, it says, they led him out to crucify him. But in, in the meantime, they decided to mock him and make sport of him, to beat him and, and, to, and to mock and to tease him unmercifully. And, and really, it's, as I said, it was unnecessary. Pilate handed him over to be crucified, and they could have just taken him out. But instead, this episode takes place. It's just one more example of the cruelty and the grotesqueness of human sin. It's one more example of just how far Jesus condescended himself, allowing himself to go through this type of abuse and mistreatment. It shows us just how willing Jesus is to go the full distance, to associate himself with the depths of human depravity and say, give me the worst you can possibly give me so that I might demonstrate to you 
the height and the depth and the breadth of my love for you. Jesus willing to suffer so brutally reveals to us our standing before God. We sometimes think, well, my sin is not really that bad. But here we see the mistreatment that Jesus took from the hands of the Romans. And remember Jesus suffering in our place. It's a demonstration of just how bad sin really is. If our Lord had to go that far to rescue and redeem us. Not only did he have to do that, but he willingly did that for us. You know, there's an old saying called the, the writing is on the wall and of course that's from the book of Daniel chapter 6 as we read that but it's the idea of, of uh, taking into consideration all the, uh, the events that are happening and coming up with what we consider to be a likely conclusion the writing is on the wall for example yesterday our football team uh, played a, a game against a, uh, a lower opponent and they played this game at night in the middle of the cold and the wind and the driving uh, snow at times. And Nancy and I were talking about it. We said, I bet you there's not very many people at that game tomorrow or, or tonight based on the way they've played, based on their opponent, based upon the weather. And sure enough, the writing was on the wall. When you watch the game on TV, by the end of the game, there was like literally nobody in the stands watching that game the writing was on the wall but when we read this episode today of Jesus being mocked and beaten and mistreated by the Romans it's another example of Jesus even seeing that and prophesying that that was to come Mark chapter 10 verse 33 through 34 hear these words in light of what we just studied today behold we are going up to Jerusalem and the son of man will be delivered to the chief priests and the scribes they will condemn him to death and will hand him over to the Gentiles. They will mock him and spit on him and scourge him and kill him and three days later will rise again. Thus far, everything in that, everything in that prediction and prophecy has come to pass leading up to the part where they kill him and then in three days later he will rise again. Our Lord was willing to suffer because of his love and his devotion for us question is are we willing to suffer likewise are we willing to wear the crown that the Lord has for us even though that crown involves first of all a willingness to suffer and of our love for him wear the Lord's crown and finally we need to bear the Lord's cross in verse 21 we see the episode of a man carrying the Lord's cross bearing the Lord's cross and this, in fact, was a discipleship requirement, was it not? Jesus said that to his disciples back in chapter 8, verse 34. Jesus says, whoever wants to follow him, if anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Again, discipleship means we are to do what the Lord has already done. We are to follow him, and because our Lord bore the cross, and died for us we must be willing to take up our cross die to self and even maybe suffer and die for him literally because of our faith and what we see in this episode in verse 21 is another living parable we see Simon literally bearing the Lord's cross fulfilling in a, 
in a physical and a tangible way the Lord's instruction to his disciples back in chapter 8, verse 34. As we see this episode unfold, first of all, there's an unwanted pressure. Unwanted pressure in verse 21. It says, They pressed into service, they being the Roman soldiers. As Jesus was led away to be crucified, some scholars believe that a Roman execution team had four soldiers and a centurion that was responsible for it. It says, Then they pressed into service. It's the word that we would use for forcing a slave or a pack animal to do what you want it to do. And here's this man, Simon. He is pressed into service. As the Romans had occupied Palestine, they had the right to conscript someone into service. Say, hey, you carry this stuff for me. And the person was obligated by law to carry whatever it is a soldier told them to carry for up to one mile. And that's when Jesus said, if you're forced to carry something one mile, go the extra mile. And we get that from the Sermon on the Mount. But here, they pressed into service this man. And it was common practice for a criminal to carry his crossbeam to the site of the execution as the upright bar remained. And it remained where it was as a, as a sign, as a deterrent. You don't mess with Rome or you might end up on this upright beam. And here, Jesus as a criminal carrying his crossbeam to his execution site and through the sleepless night and through the beatings and through the scourgings that he had taken up to this point, weary, exhausted, unable to finish the route, carrying his cross, collapsed. And so they weren't going to carry it for him. They pressed into service this man named Simon to finish the task. And here Simon was an unsuspecting person. An unsuspecting person in an unlikely place. Now, now put yourself in his shoes. Here's this man named Simon. He's from Cyrene. We know that Cyrene is in modern-day Libya. There's a large Jewish population at that time there in Cyrene. Could quite likely be the case that Simon was a Jew who had traveled as a pilgrim to Jerusalem for the Passover. It says he had come from the country, he had arrived from the country, that, that he was coming into the city as they were exiting the city to take Jesus to the place of crucifixion. And here is a man, an unsuspecting person, just a passerby, it identifies him. He's just passing by. Just ends up being in what we might call the wrong place at the wrong time. No, I'm, I'm, I'm here to go to the temple. I'm here to go and worship God. And you're going to make me carry this cross beam for this fella. It's as if you were going to someone's execution and they were to be hanged and you had to carry their rope for them. He had no desire to do that. He was just minding his own business. He was just doing life. And suddenly these circumstances were thrust upon him sounds like our lives does it not we're just going about our business we're just doing whatever it is we do and then suddenly events unfold things happen beyond our control and it's up to us at that point to decide what are we going to do how are we going to handle this that's part of following the Lord that's part of bearing the cross things happen that we don't like Things happen 
that we don't understand. Things happen that we, if it was up to us, would do things differently. But as a disciple, we have to make a decision. What are we going to do? Are we going to continue moving forward? Are we going to let go, try to remove the cross from us, take an easier route? Simon was an unsuspecting person in an unlikely place. We might say again, wrong place at the wrong time? No, I don't think so. No coincidences. Because we see in verse 21 what is possibly an unforeseen providence, an unforeseen providence that God was working something behind the scenes. Simon had no idea what was happening. We read in verse 21 something kind of unique. Actually, it's unique to Mark's gospel especially. It says, They pressed into service a passerby coming from the country, Simon of Cyrene, to bear his cross. We, we read about that in some of the other gospels, so that's not unique. But what is unique in Mark's writing here is this reference to the fact that Simon is the father of Alexander and Rufus. And we say, well, okay, what's that got to do with anything? Well, if we read this from the point of view of Mark's audience, the fact that Mark included this reference to Rufus and Alexander and the other gospel writers didn't, doesn't it follow logically that perhaps Mark's audience knew Alexander and Rufus? As if Mark is saying here, they pressed into service this fellow named Simon to bear the cross. And by the way, Simon is Rufus and Alexander's dad. And the audience would have went, oh, wow. His sons, we know them. And historians believe that Mark wrote his gospel, wrote his story about Christ to an audience quite possibly in Rome. And we're like, wow, that's, that's cool. If Rufus and Alexander, they're, they're known to people maybe in Rome. In fact, we read about in the book of Romans, chapter 16, as Paul is bringing his letter to a conclusion. Chapter 16, verse 13, Paul says, Greet Rufus, a choice man in the Lord, also his mother and mine. So it's as if Paul is writing, or, or as if Mark is writing to this Roman audience and saying, hey, Rufus and Alexander, they're there in your church. Their dad was the one, Simon, that they made carry the Lord's cross. And so if we start trying to connect these dots, here is Simon just doing whatever it is he felt like he needed to do, going to Jerusalem to worship God. He's pressed into service to carry this man's cross. He sees Jesus suffering. He sees Jesus, who is a just man, a righteous man, suffering unnecessarily. Seeing Jesus suffering for his faith. And he is forced to carry the cross of Jesus. And quite possibly by carrying the Lord's cross physically, Simon took it upon himself to carry the Lord's cross spiritually from that moment forward. Seeing the way Jesus handled himself and seeing the way Jesus suffered and trusted in the Father. Perhaps that impressed Simon so much that Simon became a follower of Jesus. And not only did Simon become a follower of Jesus that we read about in Romans 16, 13 that quite perhaps Simon's wife and his two sons, Alexander and Rufus, 
became followers of Jesus also. So what this says for us, if this story, and, and again, it's kind of speculation, but we can connect the dots and believe that quite possibly that took place. But what might have happened through Simon witnessing the suffering of Jesus, Simon bearing his cross, Simon taking up the Lord's cross spiritually, saying, I'm going to follow this man. And Simon's faith influencing his wife and his sons. That it could be through witnessing the suffering of someone for the Lord might open up the door for someone else to come to faith also. It's something that we believe happened in the life of the Apostle Paul. Book of Acts chapter 7 verse 58 it says while they were executing Stephen for his faith as a Christian martyr. It says, When they had driven him out of the city, they began stoning him, and the witnesses laid aside their robes at the feet of a young man named Saul, who became the Apostle Paul, quite possibly by witnessing the faith of Stephen as he was being put to death. It influenced the Apostle Paul. It touched his hearts so that when the Lord appeared to him on the road to Damascus, that sealed the deal. And maybe for you, maybe the Lord has put you in a place, an unsuspecting person in an unlikely place. Maybe you might think, I'm just in the wrong place at the wrong time. I'm suffering for whatever reason, and I don't know why. Maybe you're even suffering for your faith and your conviction. Maybe the way you handle yourself through that suffering would be the tool that the Lord uses to open up the heart for someone else to faith in Christ. As we bear the Lord's cross, we bear it for our love and our devotion to Christ. But by bearing the Lord's cross and suffering reproach for Him and for His kingdom, we also bear the Lord's cross because of our love for mankind because we want to see others come to faith in Christ as well. Quite possibly, the avenue that Simon took became the avenue that his wife and his children took as well. As a follower of Jesus in this world, you must be prepared to suffer mistreatment. The road to the cross as Jesus is walking in our text today, and popular name for that today is the Via Dolorosa. In Latin means the way of sorrows as Jesus traveled this pathway from the Praetorium to the cross. The Via Dolorosa, the way of sorrows. And it's an appropriate name for the road that Jesus walked bearing the cross. It's also an appropriate name for the path of discipleship, is it not? As Christians, the way that we travel, sometimes it's the way of sorrows. Sometimes the way and the journey that we take is full of pain and sorrow and suffering. And sometimes we suffer and sometimes we're sorrowful because of our faith. Because we stand against the crowd and because we stand for righteousness, sometimes we suffer persecution from that. Because Jesus said, if the world hates you, understand they hated me first. And if they don't want me, they're not going to want your faith either. And sometimes taking a stand for the Lord and sometimes walking and following Christ is a way of sorrows. Jesus was a man of sorrows, acquainted with our griefs. So much so that we might ask the question, is it worth it? 
if I have to follow Jesus and I have to bear His cross, I have to walk this path of sorrows, is it worth it? Why would I do that? But we need to understand the way of sorrows leads to joy. Leads to glory. Because we read this in Romans chapter 8, 32 about God's great love for us caused pain for His Son. But yet that pain brings ultimate joy to us. Romans eight thirty two it says this, He who did not spare His own Son but delivered Him over for us all, how will He not also freely with Him give us all things? He who did not spare His own Son but delivered Him over that's what we said. Jesus was delivered. He was handed over for us. It was, it was the Father, ultimately, handed Him over for us. He who did not spare His own Son, but delivered Him over for us all. If, if God went to that great lengths for us, how will He not also freely with Him give us all things? If God loved us so much, He did not spare His own Son, will He not also give us all things? If He's willing to give us His Son, will He not also give us all things? Salvation, forgiveness, freedom, joy. It is a way of sorrows. But ultimately, Jesus shows us that humiliation precedes exaltation. If we humble ourselves before the Lord, humble ourselves, willing to suffer for the Lord, then He will, because we are willing to do that for Him, in due time He will exalt us and lift us up. And the way of sorrows will be worth it if we are willing to walk it. Philippians 2, verses 5-11 through 11, Have this attitude in yourselves, which is also in Christ Jesus, who although He existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant, and being made in the likeness of men, being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross, therefore. In other words, because Jesus humbled himself to the point of death, even death on the cross, therefore, because he did this, God also highly exalted him. Jesus humbled himself. God therefore exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name that at the name of Jesus every knee would bow. Those who are in heaven and earth and under the earth and every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Even those Roman soldiers who mockingly bowed before him and who mockingly hailed him as king of the Jews, even they one day will bow the knee and confess the name of Christ. They did it mockingly once, but they will do it in reverence and in fear and trembling in eternity. Every day, or everyone one day, will bow before the Lord and confess Him as Lord. It was the pathway of suffering that led to the Father exalting Him it's the pathway of suffering, the way of sorrows that we walk as a disciple. We bear the Lord's cross. But if you bear the Lord's cross in due time, God will exalt you. He exalted the Son. Will He not also exalt you?
if you follow in His way. One day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Have you done that? Have you done that here? Because if you do that here, you will willingly and joyously do it then. If you have not done that now, one day you will do it. But you will be forced to do it. You will humble yourself or be humbled. And if you do it on the other side of eternity, it's too late. It's too late. Humble yourself before the Lord now. And let Him exalt you in due time. Bear the Lord's cross. Wear the Lord's crown. We sang the old rugged cross. One day I will exchange it for a crown. The Scripture tells us that one day we will take our crowns and place them at His feet as an expression of worship and devotion. Because He suffered for us, if we are willing to suffer for Him, we will have a reward given to us, a reward that we will in turn give back to Him. Giving Him all glory. As a follower of Jesus in this world, you must be prepared to suffer mistreatment as He did for you. Are you willing to suffer for Him? Let's pray together.